What's up, everyone? Hope you're doing fantastically well today. This is Raphael Garcia here on April 28th for episode 202 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I'm here with Shawan Hughes, and my phone is going off. The one time I got everything right, my phone goes off, so this is perfect. Shawan, how you doing there, sir? Uh, not too bad at all. Can't complain. Busy as always, but cannot complain. Did you just see how Ruru lost in 1FC? He got punched in the throat. At the end of the round, and they tried to fake and say it was after the bell. Did you see this mess? I did not see it. 1FC would not be a 1FC card if it didn't have a what the hell was that moment every time they have an event. Every time. Yeah, honestly, it seems like they can't get through one event without some kind of nonsense. And that's why I watch. I'm here for the nonsense. I'm here for the violence. I'm here for the um, well, sh- shenanigans. Yeah. We got... Hey, it's I was the case. I hope he tries to cheat again. It's something Pride taught us. I mean, as much people criticize Pride for not being authentic and having these circus matchups, some people, some people watch anything just to see some kind of sideshow aspect of it. Like you could probably get a more consistent fan base watching if you give them a lot of the sideshow more than you could if you give them legitimate quality, whatever it is. That's pro wrestling. That's sports. That's whatever. These sideshow kind of acts, sideshow appearances, always do numbers. They always help numbers. So, talking about sideshows, we're going to have a little bit to talk about tonight from UFC 261 and that card from Saturday. For some reason, oddly, feels like it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I don't know why, but that card was Saturday. We're going to talk about um, Logan Paul versus Floyd Mayweather for a bit. We're going to uh, also talk about UFC. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an organization that doesn't talk about politics at all. So, I not know that at all. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, that's such an amazing thing for sports. You know, they do talk, talk about black history. And luckily, we have Michael Chandler to speak <laughs> for. Yes, luckily, we have Michael Chandler to teach us all about uh, black history because he adopted a black I, I didn't even know. Um, I mean, the black man, I felt like I was behind the ball. Man, look, educated. 37 years. I was like, yo, I thought I knew what it meant to be a black man. Nope, Michael Chandler had to teach me. Thank you. Thank you, um, Michael. Thank you, Michael Chandler. Early Tour champion and champion of African Americans. Great. He's a champion of the people, for real. So let's talk about uh, UFC 261, where the the real people's champion, Kamar Usman, put Jorge Masvidal to sleep. I mean, he made... Jorge went from being street Jesus to the mayor of Sleep Village in probably about seven minutes or so. Um, it was a bad knockout. Uh, Masvidal kissed his own shoulder and rolled over and went down for the count. And I will give Masvidal credit for talking about the knockout itself um, on, I think it was MMA fighting on Monday. And he gave him credit for the way Usman set it up with uh, faking the shot, coming with the left hand and then finishing off with the right. I will give him credit because that was a no, that's a manly, I mean, that's a good thing to do when someone puts you to sleep like that. But, uh, Shawan, what did you see from this fight, uh, the main event from UFC 261? Some people would say that he still, in fact, is street Jesus as he was crucified and then woke up seven days later. So, Dude, Usman sent him up yonder. All I could think of was that old church song my mom used to sing, going up yonder. That's all I could hear <laughs> every time I watched that uh, clip. Yeah, um, the fight... I mean, it pretty much went the way, to, if you really want to be honest about it, it pretty much went the way the large majority of, of Jorge Masvidal fights went. It was just a more dramatic ending. 
once again in a fight, a guy's pressuring him, a guy's coming at him, a guy's throwing volume, and he's not really actively countering. He's not seeking to match the volume. He's not seeking to match the activity. He's essentially trying to pick his spots. He's showboating. He's dropping his hands. He's sticking his chin out. He's doing little dances. I'm not saying what Usman didn't do was, wasn't very attentive or wasn't very high level or wasn't very strategic, but it's like I said before, Masvidal only fights in spots. He's going to let you get momentum. He's going to let you get to your spots. He's going to let you throw volume, and then he's going to try to find find moments in between where he's going to land a big shot or two. And the rest of the time, he's just going to hot dog and show show off and showboat, usually on his way to a decision loss. In this case, he was punished for it, and he was finished by Usman. But I really can't say I was particularly surprised by it. Um, I think a lot of people are going to overrate Usman as a striker. Usman, as far as he's thrown the one to three strikes, Single strikes, he's fairly a comp- he's fairly competent. But if you watch early fight when he's trying to get combinations, when he was trying to work his way into range, he didn't look real sharp. He looked a little hesitant. Eyes were closed. Shots were a little wide. Some of them didn't really have snap on it. So basically, when when he can get you in situations where he can make a read or get you to show your hand, he can land a hard one two, maybe even a hard one two three. But in open space situations when it's more dynamic and more organic, and you have to create on the fly. Usman's still not great. That's why Burns was able to jump on him and get him early. That's still why Colby Covington was able to do a certain amount of work with him. And Jorge could have exploited those those holes as well. But like I said, he he if he doesn't feel threatened, if he doesn't feel like you're beating him up, he's not going to return fire consistently. And he didn't. He let Usman get to his spots. If he was moving his feet more, cutting angles, circling out, the fake that Usman gave him wouldn't have got him so cleanly because he would have been too far out of range. There would have been no reason to react to it. If he was pivoting out instead of backing up or getting ready to drop his weight, then that fake, would have, that fake takedown wouldn't have worked because he would have pivoted out. Usman would have maybe got a single leg. He could sprawl out, get out of it. it just There's a couple of different things he could have done to neutralize that. But since he insists on standing in front of you and this and this and sticking his chin out and ah, ha, 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 he gave Usman the space. He gave Usman the position he wanted, and Usman just closed the show. He, I'm not saying he made it super easy, but he didn't make it nearly as difficult as he should have made it. So I've been reading a lot and seeing a lot of people talk about the improvement that Usman has been showing fight to fight. And that he's becoming someone who's not just that wrestler anymore. If he continues upon this trend, how long do you see him holding this title? Uh, first of all, he's made improvements in his striking, but I don't know that he's necessarily so much more than a wrestler because his big knockout came off of the threat of wrestling. It wasn't like he came out on his toes and they just squared up. He threw wrestling out of, out of the window and he just straight up boxed them. That didn't happen. I'm not saying the, the shot wasn't clean. The setup wasn't clean. I get all that, but the threat of the takedown opened that up. If Usman can't get a takedown or doesn't threaten. If Usman didn't do to Jorge what he did the previous fight, Masvidal doesn't get hit with that shot. He knows he can't wrestle them. He knows he can't he can't fight hard for a whole five rounds. He knows he fights in spots. He knows he gets the takedowns because he lets you get in position because he slips, parries, and rolls. He doesn't use his footwork to ang- cut angles out of circle. So the wrestling was a large part of the takedown. Doesn't mean the strike with the t- knockout. The strike was good. It was wonderful. His jab's good. It's wonderful. It's progressed. He's a better striker. But 90% of his success is coming because guys know on the feet, I might have a chance. If he gets his hands on me, I have none. So the wrestling is really setting the table for the striking. It ain't like he's going to say, 
I ain't taking you down. We're going to box it out. If he does that, then we'd have a discussion. You could say he did that against Colby, but he didn't look as dynamic against Colby. He got hurt against Colby. He got hit a lot against Colby. This fight, he looked untouchable. But that was, once again, because Masvidal knew he couldn't afford to get pushed up against the fence or taken down by Usman because he can't he can't wrestle with him, not physically. Technically, maybe, but not physically and not in regards to work rate and cardio. So when, while he's improved, he's no Francis Ngannou. While he's improved, he's no – I wouldn't even say he's a GSP. His jab's gotten good. Once again, that's a single shot. You can double up, triple up, but it's a single shot. And his ability to make reads has improved. His his understanding of concepts and spacing and strategy has improved. His ability to apply it has not reached the same level as his ability to process it and and recognize it. It's gotten better, but it just hasn't. If it was, he would have said, "F the takedowns. We're going to come box it out." And if he would have straight up boxed Masvidal, I'd have that be very impressive. But the threat of the takedown is what set that knockout up, not just his purely his hands or his kicks or whatever. What do you um, think about the rematch already being announced with uh, Kobe Covington? They haven't said when, but um, that's the plan. Him and Kobe Covington are next. So what are your thoughts about that? I have a couple thoughts. One of the main thoughts I'm having about this is that let's say he fights Kobe and he beats him again. And everybody's saying he's pound for pound. He's the best welterweight of all time. I don't know if you're the best welterweight of all time if, what, five of your defenses – Four of your five defenses are against the same people, first of all. Guys you beat decisively, and you're fighting them again. Not even really contested fights. Guys you beat decisively. And the one other guy you beat, I mean, he was a good guy, but his 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 gateway to the title was beating Tyron, Tyron Woodley, who was a great fighter and great champion in his day, but has clearly fallen off the map. So it's like the fight's guaranteed to be exciting. Kobe throws a lot of volume. Kobe throws a lot of variety. He's a good enough wrestler and has good enough pace and cardio that Usman can't depend on his wrestling. So it'll be closer to a firefight. He'll, he'll have to improve technically because if he didn't, the same holes are going to be there and Kobe will still have the same, have a 50, 50 chance of putting him out or overwhelming him. But I mean, it's not really, it's not, it's, it'll be a good fight, but it's not really exciting as far as a matchup. It's the same matchup as before. I don't know if Kobe's gotten better because he hasn't fought since then. Wait, has he? Yeah, he fought Woodley. Oh, okay. Well, that no offense to Woodley. Right now, fighting Woodley does not mean a lot. No offense to him. It just doesn't. So it's essentially the same matchup. It's essentially the same fight it was before. It'll be a good fight. But it's not, unless one of them does something totally out of character, it's the same fight. It didn't tell me anything I didn't know about them before. Just like this fight against Jorge Masvidal and Usman didn't tell me anything I didn't know before. I mean, he Usman can wrestle. That's a threat. Usman can strike in ones and twos, maybe threes. Jorge is a great counterfighter, great defensive fighter who gives away space, timing, and volume to guys because he doesn't want to work for a hard five rounds. I knew that before the fight. I knew that before the fight. This didn't tell me, oh, he knocked him out. Okay, cool. I, I, I didn't call for the knockout, but it's not shocking me. It, it doesn't shock me that he knocked him out. It's not like Jorge doesn't put himself in positions to knock him out. So in a sense, I'm happy for Usman. I'm glad to see him have a good fight, but it's not particularly interesting because – the fundamentals of the fight haven't changed. It's it's the same fight as it was before. And after that, they don't have another really legitimate contender outside possibly Wonderboy. After that, who else do they have? Who else is really a legitimate contender? Well, he's beating everybody else in the top five except Wonderboy. I guess so he can play Leon Edwards again, right? I mean, he can have Leon Edwards again, but he's beating him too. Yeah. Um, so 
they have that fight with Burns and Stephen Thompson coming up, I think, in a couple weeks. And if Thompson wins, he should basically be considered the next number one contender. But if you look at that, I mean, you have Thompson, Vicente Luque, Michael Chiesa, Neil Magny, and Jeff Neal. Those are the top ten individuals. Those are the remaining five that Usman hasn't already beaten. Do you see yeah, any Huh? Stylistically, none of them really poses the real problem if Usman doesn't lose his step. Yeah, that, that's what stands out to me. I, a lot of people have been saying we may be looking at someone who's going to hold the belt for an ex- extremely long amount of time. I think I, I'm kind of agreeing with that right now. Um, but, you know, MMA just in, just ups and flows in such a ridiculous manner so many, so many times. You never know what's going to happen. But that's something that I think we could be looking at because looking at the rest of these men, I don't see anyone who is the complete individual to put him away or to do enough to defeat him. Stephen Thompson might be it from a point scoring technical standpoint, but I, I think it will be difficult for him to do that for five rounds. At least stylistically, it presents some problems. You have a guy who's had success against wrestlers, a guy who's hard to corner, a guy who actively counters and throws a lot of volume and has some power. At least it would answer some questions that we have not had previously answered with Usman. These fights, Masvidal, as good as he is, and I thought he had a chance to win, as good as he is, that's a favorable style matchup. Colby Covington, as dangerous as he is, that's still a favorable matchup. Tyron Woodley, favorable matchup. They're not fights where you can say these guys have a clear advantage. What's, what's Colby Covington's clear advantage over Usman? Power? No. Strength? No. Size? No. Wrestling? Maybe cardio? Maybe cardio? Maybe. But Usman's never been a guy who's gotten really dog-tired either. So it's like, that kind of neutralizes it. What's Masvidal's? He's got experience. He's better defensively. Even if he's a better offensive striker, he doesn't strike hard for a hard for five rounds. So that 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 advantage neutralizes itself. He doesn't wrestle hard for five rounds. He doesn't look for submissions hard for five rounds. So he neutralizes his own advantage. What's Burns' advantage? He's a grappler. That's his real advantage. He's a better grappler, but he's not a better wrestler. And he might be a more more versatile striker, but he's not a more durable or poor, or powerful one. So once again, if the advantages he has are so far away from being transferable or applicable, it's like they don't even exist. You're a better golfer, but you can't take me down, and you can't consistently strike hard enough or take a hard enough strike where you can knock, knock me down and, and keep me there. So how do, you, how do you get to your advantage? You don't. So that, that's, my, that's my concern with the whole thing. In fact, I was having an argument, and I'll just say this real quick on Twitter. I was trying to explain to people, everybody's telling me that Uzman is now pound for pound number one, or he, people think he is. And I was like, why don't we just say Amanda Nunes is pound for pound number one? Well, her divisions are le- weak, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's still two division champs. She still beat the best. She beat the best fighter in that, ch- in that division's history in Cyborg for featherweight championship. She beat a previous featherweight champion in Jerain Durandamy. She beat she's a bantamweight champion. Woman, she's beaten every woman that has been a bantamweight or a featherweight champion. Exactly. She's beaten like three or four. Hall of Famers, and she's beaten them in more impressive fashion than Usman has beaten anybody in his title defenses. So we're going to say Usman's pound for pound. I could make an argument that Amanda Nunes should be above him. She's beaten three Hall of Famers. She's looked more impressive every single time out. She's beaten champions and former champions. Usman's beaten one champion, and then he beat a former champion at RDA and coming from a weight division below. 
Nunes be active champion. She's be Invicta champion. She's be UFC's champion. Misha Tate was the Strike Force and UFC champion. Holly Holm champion. She and she's done so more impressively. So who's to say she's not number one based on quality performance, resume of opponent, and her personal resume, and the fact that she has two titles? I can make that argument. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I can make it. So it's Amanda Nunez. We're going to look back at her, and we're going to look at it like. You know, we have to saying, give people their flowers while they can smell them. She's not going to, she's going to maybe get, she's getting her flowers like one at a time. Instead of everyone giving her a full bouquet, whenever she's brought up, there's always a reason to detract from her. Always a reason to detract. I was talking about it on social media during Saturday's card. Whenever, whenever Valentina Shevchenko fights, MMA media runs and trips over themselves to discredit what Amanda Nunez has done. The UFC, when they show Amanda Nunez's highlights, they never show any from either one of those fights. Eight rounds of action, 30, 30 minutes worth of, um, 40 minutes worth of fight action, and they don't show one highlight of Amanda Nunez winning any of those fights. This is done for a very specific reason. I get it. Valentina's younger. She'll probably be around longer. If they fought now, she should be probably will be favored if they fought now. But the fact of the matter remains, Amanda Nunez has beaten her two times, and she should be considered the pound-for-pound pound number one fighter um, in, in the world, but it'll never happen. Yeah, and, and I'm, this isn't a slam slide to Usman, but like nobody he's beaten has been anywhere near a welterweight champion except for Woodley. Kobe Covington was the interim champion. He was never a champion. Burns, never a champion. Masvidal, everybody keeps saying how Masvidal didn't deserve the fight the first time, didn't deserve the second time. So how does beating somebody who didn't deserve his fight, no matter how impressively, how does that move you up to pound for pound? You said he didn't deserve it. He's a journeyman. You want me? So you told me he's a journeyman. He's not on your level. And then you want me to get impressed that you beat a journeyman who's not on your level impressively. Why was that impressive to me? You told me he's a journeyman. You're basically saying he's a bum. And then you knocked out a bum. So I'm supposed to put you on pound for pound because you knocked out a bum, knocked a, another guy who was never, never, never wore gold out, and knocked another guy who never wore gold out. I mean, they're very impressive wins. They're very good fighters. But these guys' resumes are all – I mean, some of their biggest wins are Tyron Woodley when Tyron Woodley was no longer an elite fighter. That's not a good indictment for building your case about why you're the best and who you're beating. Now, you're beating the best of the division – but is the welterweight division really that deep anymore? His best win. My, okay, you may, maybe Kobe, maybe Gilbert, because they both on runs. If not one of those two. It probably be Woodley. It has to be Woodley. It has to be Woodley. He was the defending champ, long-time defending champion. True. True. I mean, nobody, nobody, else is, nobody else is touch goal. Man, he was the one who put Woodley on that street. He can say, I think yeah. Tate. Who was the active champion? I beat Cyborg, who was the active champion. Two of the best in each division, two four, four future Hall of Famers. I beat them and took the title from them when they weren't lose, they weren't losing streaks. They didn't look bad. I beat them when they were close to their peak. Like Misha Tate was like on a four or five winning streak. Cyborg was on a 25 winning streak. And I finished them both in a round. What am I impressed by how Jorge Masvidal? She finished Megan Anderson. She finished um, uh, Pennington. Well, did she finish Pennington or Pennington? No, no, she did finish Pennington because she got finished in the fifth round. Um, who else has she finished? She's finished, it seems like, majority of her wins lately have been finishes. Yep. 
I, like I said, I, once again, I, I, I won't say it's an exact matchup, but if we look at on paper, who's being the more accomplished fighters, there is a huge gap between multiple all-time greats, home, home, Tate, and, uh, excuse me, home, Tate, and Cyborg, and then beating a bunch of guys who haven't ever tasted gold and aren't actually all-time greats right now. He hasn't beaten one all-time great. I'm not saying that doesn't mean he's, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I'm saying there's an argument where you can say that Nunes deserves it over him based on her accomplishment. So then we're talking about women, um, and, and you know, we kind of weighed off of Usman. Let's talk about this co-main event where Rose landed one headshot, which was the head kick that put Wally Zane to sleep, um, and, and did it pretty cleanly. It was a great setup. Zane was looking for the leg kick, and in doing so, she stepped her hips back, her head came forward, and she gets popped right behind the ear, and she goes night-night. What did you see in the, the co-main event? Uh, I saw that I really was not a big fan of what Wiley was doing. My whole thing with Wiley, I said, she's a momentum fighter. She builds momentum. That's how she's effective. She's not really sharp offensively or defensively at starting. Um, she is a build momentum. She gets her volume going. Maybe if you force her into a fight, she can get it quicker and she'll land something heavy. But if you don't actively force her into exchanges and make her build that momentum faster, she she's pretty much vulnerable. I also said she's never fought a, a power puncher, power striker. Never not. She's never gotten hit with anybody who who hits with real power. Even Andrade, Andrade has a clubbing power, not a snapping power. There is a difference between them. So I saw a fighter who is very physical, usually very durable, who works at a high rate, who's a good but not great technical fighter offensively or defensively. Decide I'm going to have a ranged kickboxing match with one of the most agile, most fluid. Hair trigger striking, accurate strikers, most powerful strikers with the longest, with the most length and timing. Pretty much, maybe the only person better than her is Valentina. So this is the person you want to fight, and you engage in a range, extended range kickboxing match with them. That was just a terrible, terrible plan. If I knew she was going to fight like that, I would have said she was going to get knocked out before the fight. In fact, I was watching it, talking to on a group chat with a bunch of coaches and fighters. And I told him halfway through, I'm like, Rose has made the read. This fight is not getting out of the round. I said that about a half second before Rose knocked her out. She she allowed Rose to find her rhythm. Rose wasn't under duress. Those little kicks, those take time. That's a tri- that's damaged by attrition. Those take time to work in. That's you do that now, and in round four for round five, that that becomes a factor. Those aren't doing damage. Those aren't making Rose think twice. Those aren't putting any pressure on her. You let Rose not have any pressure not have volume in her face, you didn't get your hands on her, you stood at range and struck with her. Who the hell in the history of the UFC has stood at range of Rose Namunas with no pressure and beat her? Nobody. Rose has lost or been pushed in fights the same way. Someone gets in her face, someone pushes her back, and she's no longer initiating, she's no longer stepping in, she's no longer setting up. She's just letting you run into shots to create space. And then she's getting away. And you make her work because she's working to land hard, and she's working to get it away before you can get your hands on her, you can return fire. Wiley didn't do that. She stood at range and kickboxed at Rose. And I don't know who the hell came with that plan. I, I don't know if she thought maybe I went with Joanna, and because I did this with Joanna, I'm going to be able to do a Rose, but Joanna doesn't hit for power either. Joanna's a volume striker. She's not a power striker. And Joanna doesn't have Rose's chin either. It was just, in my opinion, it was egregious. It was egregious. And I, I was embarrassed. I was, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed watching Wiley get her candy ass whipped by Rose in less than a round, and it was easy work. She didn't, Rose didn't break a sweat. 
And a lot of people on Twitter came for me. They're like, it doesn't mean anything. It was a lucky shot. It doesn't mean anything. If you listen to Rose in the post fight, she said the same thing I said. I got my range. I got my timing. I made the read. Done. It doesn't matter about the single strike. It's everything she did previously to set that up and everything Wiley did to allow Rose to poise and the complaint and the patience to set that up because she had no pressure. She had no volume and Wiley did not throw anything with any power to make Rose have to hesitate. I mean, she gave her the fight she wanted. And when you give Rose Namunas the fight she wants, she styles on you and she styled on her. She Do made it. Wiley deserves a, um, and no, no, it wasn't even an exciting fight. They might give it to her because she's popular, but she just got outclassed. The first time Rose touched her, it was done. People can say, well, it was a misdirection. We've seen people get hit with misdirection kicks before. We've seen them get clean, full power kicks to the head and make it out. We've seen people fake low and come over with a big right hand and someone recover. We've seen she couldn't recover. She got hit once and she was done. She was done. She was complaining. She was stumbled. She fell back down twice. She was stumbling, arguing with the ref. She was out of it. First clean shot she took from Rose. Fight was over. They could have stopped the fight before she she hit, hit her again. The fight was over, and she didn't show anything. She showed nothing, no aggression. I guess she showed some low leg kicks, but that was a terrible technique to use against somebody with Rose's timing, Rose's length, and Rose's power. Now, if you're just really ripping into them and throwing off balance, damaging the leg, maybe. But she was just slowly chopping into it. So by round end of round three, early round four, Rose will lose a step. Well, that's fine, but you still got to get through the first two rounds. And unlike other fighters who who don't know how to manage distance, know how to work their distance, and don't have a strong lead leg attack. That stuff works against Felice Herrick and Jessica Andrade and Roxy Matafari and Caitlin Chukagan. That shit works against them. That shit doesn't work against Rose Nalini. I'm going to ask you to pause for a second. If you have an opportunity, watch this Eddie Alvarez fight versus um, Ok Sayun in one Alvarez or one FC. Mm-hmm. It was a banger. Alvarez got dropped in the first, as he does. Oh, it was um, and they go to war for the next 10 minutes after that. And Oak Se Young Yoon won via decision. It was a great fight. It was a great fight. So if you're watching this show and you have an opportunity, go back and watch this, uh, watch that fight because it was an excellent uh, card. I'm really, I'm really interested to see how how he is after his career is over because he's he's been he's been there a lot, man. He's been there a lot. Uh, who is Eddie Alvarez? He, I don't, I can't. I can't count too many easy fights he's had, and I wonder how that catches up with him once his year, his uh, his career is over. You back on? Uh, no, can you turn your video off, turn it back on? Turn it off and then turn it on? Okay. Yeah, just your video. You look like you froze on my end. All right, now turn it back on. There you go, back. Okay, so um, who do you think they fight? They pull up next for Nama Yunus. I'm looking at Marina Rodriguez if she defeats 
Michelle Watterson. You also have a Carla Esparza fight, which is a rematch, because Carla beat her at the finale of, of Tough. So, I mean, you got and you have Mackenzie Dern sitting out there too as well. Out of those three women who are sitting at four, five, and six, you have Yan Zhaoyan too as well at number three. Who do you think gets uh, Rose next? It's not going to be Dern. I figure Esparza's got the inside track. All Esparza has to do is win because Esparza, she was the first champion division. She soundly defeated Rose. That was not a close fight either. She just dominated Rose from beginning to end. And she's been on a, I, I want to say, a two or three fight win streak. And even in her losses, she's never really been out, like just dominated, outclassed. Every fight's been competitive. She's faced everybody in the division and she's found a way to win or at least pushed into a very tight decision. Esparza's got far and away. Far and away the best, the best argument to fight Rose Namunas. And I think that's a fight that would get Rose the most excited. And she's facing someone who's got a win over her, who, even though, even, even after a brief setback early in her career at the UFC, has pretty much stayed in the top five to seven um, since that point. She's been elite the entire time she's been in here for the most part. So, of those three, you think it's going to go to Watterson or to Carla next? Yeah, I think as far as that, I don't think Marina has enough. I mean, as far as it loses, that's a whole other discussion. But as long as the Sparza wins, I don't see how they don't make it between her and Rose. It's probably the best fight to make between the two of the more accomplished fighters. And um, like I said, it already has a backstory. This would be a chance to go full circle. Rose gets to take that win, get that win back and uh, defend her title. And if Carla beats Rose again, you could pretty much put Carla in probably no worse than the top seven of women's fighters of all time. That'd be quite the accomplishment. Who do you think wins that fight if they rematch? I really, right now, I don't know because Carla has really improved. Her strike has improved. Her striking defense has improved. Her ability to pressure, even though her, her striking is not world-class, her ability to apply pressure and to get into position and stay in position to get takedowns or to land her shots has gotten better. Her, her, ability, her, work, her work off her back has gotten tremendously better. I mean, pretty much every aspect of her game, conditioning, strength and conditioning, cardio, um, defensive grappling, counter grappling, fighting off her back, her ability to initiate striking changes and in, in solid defensive footwork and positioning and striking changes. It's not world-class by any means, but it's gotten leaps and bounds better. She's 10 times the fighter she was when she actually held the title. Um, I would still say probably Rose. I don't know that Carla, Carla can apply the pressure necessary to get to Rose. And with Rose's footwork now and her length and her being very meticulous in how she manipulates range, I would think she'd be able to navigate it enough to land something big or to force Carla to get desperate in her takedown and maybe submit her in a scramble. But um, I, I would say Carla's a very live dog because she's a much better fighter than she was like in every technical aspect of her game has gotten much better than what it was, um, what, four or five years ago. So I want to move on and talk about Valentina Shevchenko when she beat the dog out of um, Jessica Andrade. I mean, Andrade had nothing for her from start to finish. And I don't want to spend too much time on this fight just because there isn't really much to pick apart. It was dominance from day one. But what did you see in this fight, the brief moments that the two women were able to get it on? I believe I actually think that Andrade had something for uh, for for Valentina. The problem was this: Andrade and her team said they, and I I can't believe they said this out loud because this is just embarrassing. They said that 
they didn't expect Valentina Shevchenko to wrestle or grapple her. I don't know which fight they've seen of Valentina Shevchenko because in every single fight, she leg trips, she she uh, shoulder arm throws, body locks, it's something. She takes everybody down, especially the people who are a threat to her on the feet. She took Joanna down. She took Cachuero down. She took Jennifer Maya down. She took, I want to say she tried to take Amanda Nunes down. She took Sarah Kaufman down. She took Holly Holm down. She, I think even she took Julia Pena down a couple times too. She takes everybody down. Anytime someone has enough physicality and athleticism to push her or to control position or put or pose their will on her, she takes them down. She sets them up with a striking. She takes them down. She doesn't get an extended. You've never seen her get into extended striking exchanges. Rarely at best. She doesn't do it. That's not the kind of fight she wants. She wants a clean, efficient, accurate, sharp fight that she can control through pacing, spacing, and, and her athleticism. And that's what she got. I said that Andrade would be able to get out of spots and Andrade could hurt her. When Andrade kicked her in the leg or hit her to the body, Valentina didn't like that. And Valentina just took her down. And everybody's like, well, she just dominated her. In one round, I think Valentina had six takedowns, I think, in one round. But if she has six, take, six takedowns in one round, what does that mean? That means Andrade got up like five times. So she couldn't just dominate position. She couldn't just hold her. She couldn't just control her. Andrade was able to get up. Andrade just didn't have the cardio to keep going. And Andrade didn't seem to have any sort of plan of working off her back or consistently working scrambles so she could improve her position or just force a pace to make Valentina work. She thought Valentina was going to strike with her and she was going to take Valentina down. And I have no idea why she thought that. Valentina does not do anything different in any fight. Valentina is a female Leota Machida. Same series of techniques over and over. Kick, kick, punch, punch, counter, counter. You come in too much, she rushes in, takes you down, or she counter, slips a strike, counters your strike with a trip takedown or body lock takedown. It's really simple. It's really efficient. It's very well executed, but it's the same thing. So for Andrade's team to say, we did not expect her to wrestle, we did not expect her to grapple, grapple is egregious. It's embarrassing. And every time people tell me that MMA camps, you're too hard on them, you don't know, you don't know the stress they're under, you don't know what they're doing, they get paid good money, these people are stealing money. How do you not know that Valentina is going to take you down? What fight in the past three years has she had where she hasn't taken someone down? What's the fight? What's the fight she hasn't taken someone down in? Every fight she takes someone down in. Every single one. I don't understand how they didn't see that. Even when Jennifer Maya took her down, it was because Valentina was trying to take her down and she took her down. I, I don't understand how her coaches said that. And it's just, it's egregious. It's embarrassing. They are stealing money. And all that credit I gave them for acknowledging her identity and developing a skill set and an approach based around her physical tools and her mental characteristics goes out the window because they don't know how to watch film. They've seen countless fights of Valentina and they missed the one the most consistent thing she does in MMA. The only thing she's really elite at in MMA. She's not an elite striker in MMA. She's an elite takedown artist and grappler in MMA. Every time she takes people down, she works them over. She gets everybody down. She's taking everybody down. Every sort of level fighter, she's taking down. Defending takedowns and taking them down. And they didn't, they didn't expect that from her. That's embarrassing. And as a result, what could, have, what could have and should have been an exciting competitive fight turned into a one-sided beating because Andrade was totally unprepared for the most common, most consistent part of Valentina Shevchenko's game. I saw that. I knew that. I didn't point it out because I get sick and tired of doing other people's jobs for them. But I told you all the fights to look at. 
In all those fights, she gets takedowns. She doesn't strike a lot. She gets takedowns. She didn't strike a lot in this fight. She got takedowns. And her team wasn't ready for it. That's just embarrassing. That's that's the only thing that saved Wiley's camp. Because Wiley's camp idea was to get in the range kickboxing match with Rosanam Yunus. The only reason I'm not railing them out, reaming them out, is because Jessica Andrade's camp one up them with the most stupid game plan ever in that we're going to take her down because she doesn't want to wrestle. She wants to strike. What fight have you been watching, dude? It, it's just terrible. These people get paid for this. They're stealing money. She could have called me and I would have come up with a better game plan. So what do they do next with Shevchenko? Because she's not directly calling out Amanda Nunez. Dana White's claiming he's not interested in Amanda Nunez 3. So what do they do with her next? Uh, they either have JoJo Calderwood wins her fight over Lauren Murphy. She'll be the next title challenger. Otherwise, I, I don't think Rose would move up to fight her. So I think JoJo Calderwood, if she wins her next fight, will be the next title challenger. Whoever wins between Calderwood and Murphy will be the next challenger. Most likely, I think it'll be Calderwood, and there you go. Her, her and Rose train together, so I don't think that's happening at all. So they don't have any other options. There's no other move. I guess they wanted Wiley to try and move up, but um, that's clearly got to wake up first. Yeah. Um, Chris Weidman, dude snapped his leg. Um, he got surgery, uh, on Sunday, has a metal rod in his leg. Dana White was talking about he is up and walking with crutches already. Um, wow. Do you think he comes back at this point? I'm sure he's going to try. I don't know. I mean, he's, this is different. I mean, Anderson came back to a degree, but Anderson's a completely different fighter than with than Weidman. Weidman's whole thing is using his length, his physicality, and his pace to dictate fights and impose his will. If his long-range striking weapons are either gone or cut in half, a lot of what he does disappears, and he doesn't have the defensive maneuvers, positioning, or acumen to really slip, parry, and get away from shots without the full array of strikes at his disposal. And even with the full array of strikes disposal, he still gets countered, and, and dropped quite often or stunned or hurt in fights. So I don't I don't really know what's up there for him. His chin still isn't great. His conditioning seems to have fallen off a cliff, and now he's got a serious leg injury that's going to keep him out for at least, what, a year, year and a half? So um, when he comes yeah, back... Yeah, to 12 months. Yeah, when he comes back, he won't be anywhere near... He'll be 39. He'll be 39. He'll, he'll, he'll basically be at the back of the line and have to win at least at least two fights to be considered for a title fight. Probably three. And at this stage, I don't know, unless somebody gets hurt or retires, I don't know who he, I don't know the three other middleweight he beats. I don't think he beats Brunson at this stage. I don't think he beats Hall at this stage. I don't think he beats Whitaker. I don't think he beats Adesanya. Um, I don't know that he beats Marvin Vittori right now. I, I don't know who he can get two to three wins off of right now, based on what I've seen from Chris Wyman. So while it might not be over as far as career, his position as a potential, um, as an elite fighter, Seems to have been over for at least the past three to two to three years, minimum. What about Uriah Hall? Where does he go next from here? He's ranked number eight. Um, he's behind a number of solid middleweights. Uh, he he's also in in like the later years of his career is worth well too. Where do you see him going next? Um, he needs to. I mean, he was hoping. I don't even know what the point of the Weidman fight was. To be honest, a win there doesn't really prove much, but it's a name. He needs another win. He needs probably a big win. Maybe a fight Derek Brunson again. I don't know why Brunson would take that because Brunson won easily, but maybe fight a Derek Brunson. Um, maybe fight a Vittori's already taken. He's got to get at least one big win to, to really stamp his 
stamp himself as a legitimate contender to fight a Whitaker or fighting an Adesanya, maybe fight Jared Cannonier. I don't know if he's. Yeah, I would like to see him fight Jared or Darren Till. Yeah, uh, Cannonier's coming off of a loss, coming off of a loss, loss. but Cannonier still would be probably a lot better than the guys he's been beating. I mean, the Anderson Silva fight was good, but. That's a really faded Anderson. The fight over Chris Weidman, I guess, is good, but that was an injury. But even so, that's a faded Chris Weidman. So if he could get a – what do we say? Um, he could get um, Derek Brunson or a uh, Jared Cannonier, I think, are his best bets. Yeah, I like Darren Till. Well, Darren Till, I just, I just don't think enough of Darren Till as a fighter to justify him getting anything. I don't know what beating Darren Till proves. Like, what does that mean? I mean, he's still, you know how the rankings go with the UFC. He's still sitting up there. I mean, uh, that's why don't they just have him rematch? Kelvin put up a good fight against Whitaker. Have him rematch Kelvin. There's a storyline. There? You, you're, no, Raya Hall. Okay. You know, it's got to be somebody who's durable. I want to see him against somebody who's not going to be clearly outpaced by his athleticism and who can handle some of his power. All the guys he's been facing, Anderson can't handle the power like he used to. He's not as quick as he used to. Well, I've been saying thing. He can't handle the power like he used to. Isn't quick as he used to. I, I think a win over Gasolum or Cannoneer would do him would, would do him a lot of good because both of the, those guys have faced better competition than he has in his last couple fights. True. Um, what else stood out from this card for you? Uh, it was just a good card. A lot of finishes. A lot of exciting fights. Um, I mean, those were really the, the biggest fights. I guess what really stood out to me is you had three fights that were supposed to be, like, elite, world-class competitive fights, and in each single one of them, we did not have a competitive fight at all. And at least two of them were because of terrible game planning, and it exposed the hard limitations of their fighters. Wiley isn't as good a technician as people thought. I never thought she was that great. I thought she was a momentum fighter. She rounds into shape. She got exposed for... Not really having a good eyes for that. She didn't. She didn't see that coming. I don't think she ever saw it coming. It was control of that fight from the minute they they set it up. And Andrade's team once again failed her. They didn't prepare her at all for this fight. She was not prepared for what Valentina Shevchenko does. Even though Valentina Shevchenko did what she always does, Andrade was not prepared for that. That's how bad it was. That's how bad that fight was. And even so the fight, the fight with uh, Usman, it's the same thing. It was supposed to be a competitive fight. But all three of those fights had clear avenues. Is this, this, this happens, it's not going to be competitive. And in each case, this, this, this happens. So you had, we were expecting a night of great fights. We got great finishes, great performances. We did not really have a great fight in the main card at all, to be quite honest. Understood there, sir. Um, we're talking about bad fights. Let's talk about this Mayweather-Logan Paul exhibition that's scheduled for June, I believe. Um, what do you think about this, Swan? Is this... Is, are these shenanigans ever going to end in boxing, or is this what big-time boxing has become? I'll tell you one thing. This is terrible for Teofimo Lopez because this fight happens the night after his fight on Triller. And so Teofimo Lopez got a lot of money from Triller instead of going through top rank, and everybody said, yay, he won. He showed the value of the fighter. And now his show is going to get outpaced by another, his legitimate world title boxing fight is going to be outrated and out-earned by a sideshow YouTube fight between Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather, which is going to basically cut his value and his ability to follow up with another big payday in half, unless he fights somebody who he doesn't want to fight. I mean, this is terrible for him. Um, 
Mayweather's in here just trying to make box make money. This is common in boxing though. In boxing, lots of fighters took um, exhibition fights. I think Floyd, I think Muhammad Ali fought Lyle Azeda once, if I recall correctly. He used to be a Golden Gloves boxer. This is pretty common. He fought a uh, not Shinya Aoki, Inoki. He fought Inoki in Japan, where he got his legs messed up because he kept getting kicked in the legs. This is fairly common in boxing. It's always happened. Some boxers fought bears, some fought kangaroos, some, some fought strongmans. This is fairly common. It's just never gotten to this stage of ludicrous, ludicrous, this ridiculousness because a lot of people feel that Logan Paul has a legitimate way of beating Floyd Mayweather because he's probably going to be 40 to 50 pounds heavier than Floyd when the fight, when the fight comes. And people are seeing that and they're going to place bets on Logan Paul. That's that's probably the most shameful thing about it. That people actually feel that he has a chance of beating Floyd Mayweather if everything goes right for both fighters, when that's just inherently not true. I mean, I don't know how bad Floyd would have to be for Logan Paul to beat him. Like, I don't. It had to be beyond the worst Floyd's ever. It just had to be so bad. It had to be so bad for this for Floyd to to be beaten. And there's people putting money on Logan Paul for that. But this whole sideshow fight, that's been a common thing in boxing. The same thing is when they have squash matches between them and some can who has who's very popular in a certain region. That happens all the time. It's just now it's getting to a point of ridiculousness where you can't really even hide it or uh, mask it. And nobody wants to because it, it, it makes so much money. There's no need to. You can you you can lean into the silliness of it because you're still gonna get paid. The public will still pay for this. So are we beyond the point where we get the best fights from a pure, these are the best two guys stance? Like, for example, um, Hagler versus Hearns. Would that happen in, in today's boxing industry? The, thing, the reason these fights don't happen is because when Hagler versus Hearns happen, that's the only way you can make money is to fight the best guy to draw enough attention. If you play your media, media uh your social media well enough, or you get the right fighter, even if he's not the best fighter, if you get the right fighter, you can make money. You don't have to fight the best fighter. One, because some of these promoters sign these ridiculous contracts with these fighters where they're getting paid $2 million to fight a guy who's not ranked in the top 20. Why would I, even if I'm going to make $5 million, why would I fight $5 million with a fight that is 50-50 at best when I can make $2 million just to fight some guy and, and get a spectacular knockout? Which is going to help my earning potential because it's it's spectacular. It goes viral, and so now I can demand some more money. That's what it comes down to. It's the same thing with Teofimo Lopez. He's fighting this guy. He's fighting this guy, and he's making like five or six million dollars. But that's not the best opponent he could fight. But he wants to make the most money with the least amount of risk, and that's what a lot of boxers do. And I get it because your health your health state. You can die anytime. You can get seriously hurt. I get it completely. But it takes away from the authenticity of the sport. Because guys can avoid, to get to their ultimate goal, they don't have to face the best challenges anymore. In the NBA, you have to beat the guys ahead of you. NFL, guys ahead of you. Soccer, guys ahead of you. World Cup, baseball, you have to beat, you can't skip steps. You have to beat somebody who's beaten either a higher ranked person or you have to beat the higher ranked person to get to the title, to get to the money. In the UFC and combat sports, you find the most popular guy who is going to create interest and sell a fight. Not necessarily the best guy. And if that best guy happens to be the most popular guy, everybody just tries to fight second and third tier fighters so they can stay undefeated. So hopefully that guy will reach out and say, I want you. That's what they're doing for Canelo. I'm just going to stay around, stay around. Hopefully he picks me. That's what they did for Mayweather. I'm just going to stay around, stay around. Hopefully he picks me. 
they're not they don't want to jeopardize their chance at the cash cow so they don't want to take any risk they'll just take their two million to beat up some schlub and then keep it moving and then talk about how everybody else is ducking them it, it's really we've been past that point for years once cable companies got involved and they started giving them these huge budgets where guys could just get tons of money for fighting anybody what's your inclination to fight the best if i get two million to fight a bum i want 10 million to fight you because you're the best Mute. You're on mute. Yep. Last question I'm going to say in regards to this until it gets closer and we have to talk about it is how many buys do you think this does? Does this do more or less than uh, Paul Asker? I would think it do more. You know, you know the funny thing about these YouTube fights? The biggest sideshow event as far as acknowledged pay-per-view buys was still between two actual boxers and Mike Tyson and Roy Jones. Yeah, they're past their prime, but they were still two multi, multiple champions and legitimate champions, amateurs and in pros. So that's the funny thing. As much credit as we give Jake Paul and, and, and Logan Paul, the biggest actual selling where we could actually say, these are the pay-per-view buys, everybody saw it, blah, 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 was actually between two legendary fighters, two legendary legitimate fighters. But um, yeah, I would say I would say it has to do more than that, more than Askren, Askren, uh, Paul, because you know Floyd will put his little act on Logan, af especially after after having uh, Jake knock out Askren. Some people are gonna start thinking, well, Jake knocked out a a pro fighter. Yeah, he wasn't a boxer, but he was a pro fighter. So maybe maybe Logan can do it too. Floyd hasn't been fighting in years. He's just been fighting exhibitions. He's, he's been fighting guys close to his size. He's retired. He's close to, he's 43, 44. You know, Logan's young. He's going to be 200 pounds coming. He's a power puncher. Maybe he has a chance if he can just land something. There's people who legitimately think he's going to win, and they're not going to want to miss the opportunity to see him win. Yeah, I'm not really interested in this, but I think it'll be it'll be intriguing to watch the build to it. Let's um, just talk about Saturday's main event. I don't want to talk about the rest of the card. Dominic Reyes versus Yuri Porchaska. Um, this is a big, this is an interesting fight because Porchaska isn't he's not someone to be overlooked. You mess around, get in there with him, he will put you to sleep, and he'll do it quick. And Reyes just got pieced up by a lesser striker and. Yeah, but hold it. So how do you see this fight at 205 going in the main event on Saturday? Well, the good thing is Reyes had some time off so he could recover. I, I And he didn't just rush back in there. I think he was supposed to fight somebody and got injured, right? If I recall correctly, his fight got postponed? <sighs> Probably. Who knows? Kroska, um, I know him because um, he was part of, he was, he got beat by King Mo in that Risen tournament. That was like a really, really big thing. So I'm I'm one and zero against his camp. I just want to throw that out there. Uh, <laughs> as petty as I am, I have to throw that out there. The reason you don't have that risen Grand Prix title is because of me. That's what I told him. But um, it's really a setup fight for Prosca. There, he's a better athlete. He's probably the bigger hitter. Is is dynamic as Reyes is. I don't think Reyes is a dynamic hitter. I don't think Reyes is a Reyes is an athlete who who learned to fight. So he doesn't really have a skill set. He's kind of got a strategy and an approach, and he's still rounding out his his form and rounding out his skills to uh, apply to mixed martial arts. He's not a, really a wrestler. He's not really a grappler. He's not really a striker. He's a guy who's usually much bigger, much quicker, 
much more agile and much faster and harder hitting than the guys he's facing. He's not he he's, he's got some craft to his game, but if he was any less of an athlete, he wouldn't be nearly as successful. Unfortunately for him, uh, Prashka is as good or better an athlete, has comparable size, is a bigger hitter, and has actually faced people of comparable athleticism and people who are far more skilled than him. So ultimately, I want to say Prashka is going to win this. I think he gets a little loose with his striking. I think he, le- he leans a little bit on his athleticism and being unorthodox. So there's going to be opportunities for Reyes to land counters and maybe um, put him in some positions that could end the fight. But I just think there's two different levels right now. And and uh, Reyes hasn't shown me anything that says he he's at a caliber where he can beat a guy like Jerry. I mean, not even conditioning-wise. If it's a hard fight, hard three rounds, I think uh, Jerry could push a harder pace and come back from a harder pace. I think he's got a better skill set. It really comes down to if Jerry can be disciplined enough to navigate um, Reyes' counters and his power and athleticism. And if he can, he should be. He, he might have a few rough spots, but he, he really should win the fight pretty handily. If he just gets caught and blown out, I can see that because Reyes is that kind of athlete. But I don't think Reyes is the same fighter. I think that loss to, to, Ray, to uh, John really did a number on him. I think the loss to Jones got, made him feel like he was better than he was. And I think that fight to John really kind of knocked him down a couple pegs. So I don't expect the best version of him as far as confidence or aggression. And um, I think he'd have to be at his very best to beat Jerry. As long as Jerry comes with a smart plan and is kind of deliberate in what he does, has some structure to what he does, I, I don't see how he doesn't break him down. He's just he's just a better fighter as far as accomplishment and a better fighter on paper. And he, he's shown better skills in the cage. So it, it wouldn't be an upset, but it, if he be, if raises beats Jerry, it's more just a matter of athleticism and durability more so than any particular skill set or a particular strategy. And if Jerry beats him, it's he's just a better fighter. Who is the most dangerous opponent for Jan Blachowicz at 205? Mm, I don't know that there really are a lot, to be quite honest. Um, Glover to share is tough because if Glover takes him down, I believe Glover will finish him. Anybody Glover can get his hands on to get down, I believe Glover will finish. Uh, Proshka is probably the best at Jerry's probably the best athlete uh, uh, on the best streak. He's he's faced the best opposition out of everybody. He's faced the most experienced guys, the most technical guys, the more athletic guys. Um, probably probably Jerry and, and Glover, as far as I'm concerned right now. I don't think Anthony Smith. I don't. I don't think Anthony Smith. No, probably between Jerry and Glover. Um, Glover because he's more seasoned and experienced. And once he gets to fight the ground, he's just tremendously – as long as he gets to fight the ground, he's a tr- tremendous problem. Um, and Jerry, he's just a much better athlete, and he's hitting his prime, and he's still getting better. So I feel like his athleticism and his um, power is enough, and he's got enough size where he could get into those exchanges with uh, John and, and punish him. John has a really big issue with athleticism. He had, a, he had issues with Adesanya. He had issues with Tiago Santos. He had issues with, even with, um, with Dominic Reyes early. So high-level athletes with power are always going to cause him problem because he's not a very high-level athlete. And as defensively sound as he is, speed and explosiveness still gives him tremendous problems defensively and when he's trying to get his own offense off. True, true. Good thoughts there, sir. Um, the last topic I wanted to talk about today, well, I mentioned it at the opening of the show, is this conversation around politics in the UFC. And this is this has been – this is a – conversation that came up because what they, conversation? Like, they don't talk politics what are you talking about 
Dana White went on Sean Hannity on Fox News mm-hmm. to talk about how UFC isn't political. Now, that right there is irony within itself that he goes on one of the most controversial shows on television today in Sean Hannity. Then he followed it up by going on to Candace Owens' show later on that same day. So, come on. like That's already it. But to talk about the idea that the UFC isn't political is so far from the truth that it can't be even taken seriously. I mean, we can talk about the propaganda video that Dana White did about COVID. We can talk about the propaganda video that they did for Donald Trump. You can talk about having the Trumps and his sons at the fights. You can talk about uh, Jorge Masvidal um, campaigning with the Trumps, Kobe Covington's antics. You can talk about um, them being sponsored by groups like Black Rifle Coffee, who are hard right-leaning groups. There's so many different talking points around that. And there's also people who, there's people who looked at his comment and tried to spin it and say that, well, they don't talk about politics in on the broadcast, such as, you know, you have NBA games where yeah. um, some of the players wear, you know, Black Lives Matter on the jerseys that we saw last year. You see players kneeling during the national anthem. You see them taking uh, moments on air. And that's even a further comment from the truth. Because if you think about it, a fighter walking to the ring or, or to the cage with their flag draped around their shoulders is nationalism within itself. Yeah. That is a political statement, period. There's no way around that. That is a very political statement. They even had that situation where one country got mad at the UFC for allowing a fighter to wear a, a flag in the ring that the country isn't necessarily recognized. They had that happen just last year. As I mentioned, some of their sponsors are shown on the cage uh, who aren't the greatest of organizations if you look at what they're really about. There's so many different talking points that can be used to debunk this whole conversation around the idea of the UFC being apolitical. That is just, it's asinine that we even got to have this conversation, but it's another one of those conversations that if you look at MMA, MMA is, MMA and its fan base and a lot of the fighters and some of the biggest voices in the industry from a non-media standpoint, they're very... They're very keen on this misinformation uh, trend that's going on in our society today where you can look at the facts and you can come up with your own alternative facts. And that's just, this is just another example of it. And it's one of those situations where if you know anything about sports within itself, sports have never been apolitical. We can go all the way, especially combat sports, we can go all the way back to Jack Johnson and his existence within itself was a political conversation. That's why they had the great white hype, Rocky Marciano beating Joe Lewis. All of that stuff is a hundred where there was politics behind that. Muhammad Ali, all the way up to Evander Holyfield defeating Mike Tyson, Lennox Lewis being a champion. All of that stuff is political along the way, all the way up to Rose Namajunas' comments since she just fought this past weekend. Sports and politics go hand in hand. The Olympics, um, the push for the NBA to bring in more European players, the World Cup, all of that stuff is political by itself. And to, to look at it and, and think that the UFC is above all that and say that it's not, it's just the most asinine conversation going on right now. I just I just think it's like you said earlier, there's not anybody coming out in the fight kit that says integrity, truth, say her name, Breonna Taylor, uh, 
you know, they, they don't they don't have anything. It's not it's not you don't you don't see them supported by Black Lives Matter. You don't see them talking about the racial inequalities for Hispanics or Asian hate. They don't they don't discuss any of that stuff. They might say I believe in Donald Trump, but anybody can say I believe in Obama, I believe in whoever. Anybody can say that. Colby Covington wearing a hat is ridiculous and egregious as it is. Anybody who wanted Obama, anybody who wanted Joe Biden could have wore their hat, could have did that show, but they don't want to. A lot of fighters don't want to because I don't think they want to alienate people. They don't make enough money. Like NBA players, even if I'm a bench player, I might make $3 million. The hell I care if I alienate you. I'm still taking home $3 million. If I'm on a fight card and I'm making eight to win and eight to show, and I might get $2,000 from Reebok or Venom or whoever, that's $18,000. You multiply that by three, what's that? 50 something thousand dollars a year i can't afford to offend anybody i can't afford to put anybody off if i have a complaint i will direct it to the fighter who is supporting these ridiculous political stands i won't attack the political stand because i can't afford to put anybody off i can't afford to take that hit i can't afford for them to turn on me and get under and undercut my popularity or tell the UFC they don't want to see me anymore, they won't pay for me, because the UFC pays attention to who their fan base is, and fighters who get on the wrong side of their fan base seem to either get matched ridiculously toughly so they get knocked out of it, or they get pushed aside and talked as afterthoughts. So the UFC might talk it, but it's only, I support this guy. It's not on the broadcast. Vanna did not talk about how great, how Joe Biden's an idiot, if he thinks that, or Kamala Harris is a bitch. He didn't say any of that stuff. He didn't say any of that stuff. He says... He pretty much just stays out of it. You want to wear a mask, wear a mask. You don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. We're going to support people who support us. We're going to support our fighters. I won't come on a UFC broadcast and tell you who you need to vote for and tell you you should be ashamed. And I'm not going to cancel a UFC broadcast because somebody got killed and somebody got killed by police officers. Uh, town is burning down. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to consistently provide you the entertainment you want in this fictional world outside of what's happening. They don't really discuss actual issues. They don't talk about any of these people who died. And to be honest, none of the fighters do either. None of the fighters after the fight, I like to dedicate this fight to so-and-so who died. They don't do any of that. All this stuff is out. All you see is Dina at GOP things, holding these talks, yada, yada. But you don't ever see him on his own broadcast pushing it egregiously. NBA, after last year in the bubble, what about your last second win, Chris Paul? What I really want to talk about is what happened in Milwaukee. A lot of people didn't want to hear that. There's people I used to work with. When they did that NBA closeout thing, oh, my God, dude. They were called texting me. They're like, what the hell is this? I don't watch basketball to get a lesson about character. I don't watch football to learn about history and society. I want to see the sport played. We can worry about that stuff later. The UFC separates it on their broadcasts. They separate. They don't go into political issues. They don't even go into criminal issues of their fighters. They just push right past that. What about that guy who beat so-and-so? I'm not discussing that right now. What about that former UFC fighter? He's a former UFC fighter. Not my problem. What about Black History Month? Let's have a black person talk about all the stuff we've overcome. We'll just get Michael Chandler because we know he's not going to say anything that's going to paint us into a corner. They don't. They don't. They don't beat you over the head with it. They don't put it in your face. You don't have to worry about their social media and none of their fans push it to the point where it's like, say her name. They don't. They they fall on the side of the people who they who. They side with, but for the most part, they make personal attacks against fighters. They make personal attacks against fans who are who, who fall on their side politically. They don't actually actively push you to go vote for Trump, go vote for this person, go pass this bill. They never do that. 
NBA is different. We're paying for voters to have here. We're suppressing voter fraud. They, I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's right. Excuse me. But they're actually spending their money and putting their name and their face and their businesses behind these things. No UFC fighter does that. And Dana White doesn't do it. He doesn't egregiously tell you, I'm going to invest money into checking out to see if the Democrats did that. He doesn't well, do he that. Well, he does. I mean, he's spoken at two Republican conventions. He may he not doesn't, do it. He doesn't do it on UFC broadcast. They Correct. talk There's about stuff like NBA broadcast. They do. Correct. I'm not saying he's right. I don't like it. But they actually talk about it in depth on NBA broadcast. After the I don't want to talk about my last second shot. I want to talk about black people being being put out and being hurt in the streets. I appreciate that. You appreciate that. Caring people appreciate that. But there's another segment who does not want their sports and society and all that shit to blend. They want it totally separate. You talk about that shit on your own time. I paid for this pay-per-view. I don't want to hear this shit. Tell me about the fights or get off my fucking screen. I don't want to hear that. That's all they want to hear. And UFC gives them that. They don't have anybody kneeling. Somebody in the UFC kneeled yet? I don't know. They don't play. They don't play the national anthem. They don't play national anthem. They don't do it. They don't give any chance for any of that stuff to seep over. They don't even get into discussions. What about this warlord who's supporting your fighters? I don't know nothing about that. What about this guy who supported Trump? They can vote for who they want. Everybody can vote for who they want. They like that because in other sports, some of the stuff that fighters have said about politicians, you well mostly about the Democratic politicians, you can't say that in the sport. You will be suspended. See, so when I think of that, think of that, and we're going to close out to this is that I would rather athletes talk about that because when you do not allow them to talk about what matters most to them at the time, you're taking away a piece of their humanity. I know people are upset because the NBA doesn't speak about China. I understand that. I get it. Um, I get that angst. Some of it is a little bit racist as well too because we're trying to. Okay. Sorry. We're trying to. Part of it is you're trying to silence people bringing up issues around um, what goes on in minority communities, and, you, and they're using China to try to silence them. So it's a tight rope that people have to walk. I would rather see that. I would rather see athletes speaking up about that because they influence so many people, and they have so much power to draw. You saw what happened in uh, Georgia because of the. WNBA players, you have a woman running for senator who is in Kelly Loeffler, who is running and using Klan members in her campaign, but she owns a part of a WNBA team that is majority black women. And they're like, hold the fuck up. How can you be a part of the WNBA that's mostly black players and the NBA, but yet you're campaigning with a Klan member and they force her out of the league? That should happen. I, I understand that. And I, I agree with that. But the fact of the matter is, the w, and I'm a WNBA fan. I've paid for people to go to games. I have given people tickets. I've taken busloads of kids. I've done all that shit. So I'm a, w, I'm a girls basketball fan. But let's be honest. WNBA ratings, they wish they had the UFC ratings. Our ratings, though, because the NBA supported the WNBA. I know. The, U, the UFC can support itself. The UFC can support itself. That, that's what it comes down to, money. The UFC will let people say whatever they want, but they are, not, as a company, I'm not empowering any of this stuff. I might say it outside of here on my broadcast. You will never have to deal with this shit on my broadcast unless a fighter brings it up. Fighter brings it up. That fighter will have a talking to after. We're not bringing that up. We'll wear the hat. That's fine. You can support who you want. You can say you love Donald Trump. You can say you love Joe Biden. But we ain't talking about policies here. 
We ain't talking about who the Ku Klux Klan. We're not talking about racism. We're not talking about cost. We're not talking about anything. We don't do that here. We give no, you. Because when, when you say you're apolitical, the whole, the whole term apolitical is basically a cop out for saying that your politics aren't welcome. What did Jordan say? Even Republicans buy shoes too? That's how Dana White looks at it. Because uh, no, because like the, the politics that come up when you talk about something being apolitical are the politics of black and brown people and women. Dana White is okay if Kobe Covington stands up there at a, at a post-white press conference huh? calling Tyron Woodley in the Black Lives Movement matter communist and Marxist. He's okay with that. Uh-huh. And they will not muzzle anybody. The target audience that welcomes the, that watches the, the UFC, they are okay with Kobe Covington doing that. If their target audience and their demographic was black people our age, Kobe Covington would not be saying that. And Dana White was like, you know what? Let me ask you a question. I have a question. I don't know that he's muzzled any fighters. He hasn't. Well, how come Tyron Woodley hasn't said what he said about Black Lives Matter specifically was out of order? I don't know that I haven't heard any interviews with Angela. I haven't heard any interviews for any minority fighter who's actually who's actually addressed the political issue. And if they're not Muslim anybody, that means only one side's willing to speak up. Well, see, no, why is this not willing to speak up? But I'm, I'm just asking. Well, Angela Hill did when after Kobe Covington said his comments that next fight card. All of the uh, all of the black fighters were asked about Kobe Covington's comments during the press conference, and they all said what they said. They only asked the black fighters; they didn't ask any of the white fighters. So they don't muzzle anybody. They give everybody the space to say what they have to say. But what I'm saying is, though, that you wouldn't see Tyler Hero in in the NBA saying the same shit that Kobe Covington says. The reason why is because the demographic that he's been around and the NBA is focused on is different than that with the NBA, with with the UFC. If Tyler Hero said what he said and he was an NBA player, NBA fans would be like, this is not correct. White and black would be like, this is not acceptable. The NBA needs to address this. Kobe can say whatever he wants to say because he knows that Dana Dana White will not do that. Is it possible? Is it possible that a lot of these fighters who have a problem with what Kobe said specifically may in fact have still voted for Donald Trump? Because that's what I know. A lot of coaches, people I know, they're like, you'd be surprised how many fighters don't like Kobe. But if you look at their voter card, they voted the same as Kobe. That's not the point. Like, I'm not saying it is the point. I'm just I'm just saying for Kobe is willing to stand on the, the magazine and really attack Biden, whoever, whatever. Where's the other person who voted the other side who's willing to openly because if if Dana shuts them down, now we have a discussion. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Dana. Why are you shutting him down? Oh, well, we don't talk politics. You let him talk it. Now we have a serious discussion. But nobody's made that stance. I'm, I'm on your side. I believe it. But why hasn't anybody spoken up on behalf of the Democrats and, like, put their hat on, put their shirt on, and did the same thing Kobe did? There, if you look at MMA as a whole, there are very few, it seems like very few, Central and left-leaning fighters that speak up. Mm. I, I'm, I'm saying it's the same. It's the same discussion I've always said. If you want to change or you want to match that, somebody's got to be willing to put their career on the line. And somebody's- a big piece of that is the reason is because they know that speaking up in support of left-leaning conversations mm-hmm. in MMA, you're gonna get you're gonna get the wrath of the fans. Mm-hmm. 
and probably the promotion thrown your way. But could the if you can win, because Kobe's caught in little maybe not fly from the organization, but part of Kobe's draw is people hate him. Even when he loses, they you've got your jaw broke. Is there any chance if a fighter could win, they could do the same thing he did on the other side and draw the wrath of them, but I keep on winning and I can monetize that? I'm just asking. I'm just asking because Mark Wolfman was, was was winning and he was supporting both Black Lives Matter and the situation that was going on in Ni- Nigeria, I believe it was at the, mm-hmm. at the time. And he's done nothing but win. And look at how fans treat him. I know, but he hasn't been muzzled. He hasn't been shut down. I'm not I'm saying that. What I'm saying is, I'm, agree saying with you. I'm just saying I haven't seen a punishment for him. Like somebody could even, somebody, somebody could even use that as an example. They say in the NBA, if you said some of these things, you took these stances, they would silence you, but Usman says what he wants, and ain't nobody silenced him. So we're there better. Won't be there won't be a punishment. That's not the point. Like there won't be a there won't be any punishments because you know, like there will be re, uh, repercussions for that from a controversial standpoint. What I'm saying though is that the UFC is not a political. It is not it's in not. any way, shape, or form. Um, and there's too many examples to point to, even with them lobbying to stop the Ali Act. That's politics there too as well. Like there's so many different examples of how the UFC as an organization is political in front of the camera and off of the camera that it will be asinine to take Dana White's comments as true. I, I agree with you completely. I'm just talking, there's some fans who are just kind of neutral. There's there's a segment you're talking about, but there's also a, a fans who are kind of going back and forth. And to those fans, they could actually say, they're like, look, this guy said this. This guy refused to kneel. He stood, and it was a big controversy in the NBA. Kamaru Usman saying stuff I don't agree with. Ain't nobody suspend him. They didn't strip him no title. They didn't send him home. He got to say what he wants. Kobe got to say what he wants. All the fighters can say what they want. The NBA is political because they won't let people say what they want. So to the fans who are very myopic and short-sighted, it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem that way because they're not getting it. They feel like they're not getting I've talked to them. I'm not getting it sledgehammered in my head. I don't have to look at a jersey that says Breonna Taylor. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. I don't have to see that on their fight trunks. I don't see that on their cards. They just fight. They go out. They say what they have to say. They get out. I don't get commercials and all this nonsense about health and race. I don't want to see that. So to them, the UFC is not that way because the UFC is not giving you commercials. They're not giving you this. They're not giving you that. They might do it outside of it, but on the UFC broadcast, they seemingly keep it very streamlined to fight. That's the way they look at it. I'm just saying, I talked to a lot of fans about this before this came on. They're like, dude, I don't have to see these commercials. I don't see stupid jerseys. I don't have to hear their thoughts on China. Thank God, dude. NBA, they're a bunch of tyrants over there. I'm sick of that. That never happens in, 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 as a whole in MMA. There might be one or two fighters, but it's not everybody. They ask you about the knockout. You talk about the knockout. You don't say, well, speaking of which, so-and-so died in Ohio. I want to de- dedicate this to them. They focus on the knockout. They don't talk about current issues. This is what I did to win. On to the next thing. That's what they're talking about. You're right. And I try to explain it to them, but they don't see it because they don't feel like they're getting it drilled into them. So they don't think it exists. That's how they, that's how a lot of fans see it. So we're going to go ahead and close out there. Um, sponsor, let us know what you're working on, man. Uh, I got to do a black uh, Mike talked about the Black Panther uh, uh, fight breakdown. The what? Black Panther, not Black Panther, back, uh, I almost said Black Falcon. The Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, um, I, I released that, I think, because the show was on, it kept on going. I think if they do Captain America, then I can extend on it. 
according to Mike, the first Captain America thing still gets a lot of clicks, which is crazy. I mean, that was like almost two years ago. But um, I'm going to do a Black Widow piece. I think I've got another MMA article that's going to talk about the do's and don'ts for um, JoJo Calderwood and her fight against Murphy, Lauren Murphy. And I'll probably do one other MMA piece if something catches my opinion. But sometimes it's been really, it's like there's a lot of good fights, interesting stories, but finding a, a story that you can angle and kind of build something from an angle that most people aren't looking at, it gets in MMA so heavily covered, it gets exceedingly hard to come up with an original take. So I want to have something that's not, it's not you. I'm not do. I'm not being different just for the sake of being different. There's legitimate reasoning to behind what I'm doing, so that I'm giving quality to the fans. So that's what it's about to me. Am I providing you value for whatever time you're taking to see my stuff? That's what I want to do. Provide value. True. I just wrote a thousand word piece on that UFC being a, a political topic, and um, I'm also writing plenty of pro wrestling content. So please be sure to check us out there. As always, you can find MMA ratings across multiple platforms. Uh, MMARatings.net is where our main um, content goes up. You can find us on streaming platforms, Spotify, Anchor, um, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Breaker as well. And MMA ratings in each spot. MMA ratings on YouTube as well, too. And you can hit us up in a couple of different places as well. So um, you can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter as well at MMARatings.net in both spaces. I'm R. Garcia underscore sports. Swan Humes is at Black Jordan Green. And we'll be back here next week to talk more about MMA. I have a wrestling podcast coming out this weekend. Um, I'm getting my second COVID shot. So if I am if I can get up and function, you should go get yours if you haven't gotten one. I heard that second one's rough. I heard that second uh, one's rough. Pfizer, you know, it's, I'm hearing it's not as bad if you get the Pfizer one. So that's what I'm hoping. Knock on wood because I need to drink the rest of this weekend. So it's got to go down. But either way. <laughs> Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we'll be back next week. Have a good evening, everybody. Thank you for the support.